Father God, your word teaches us that uh, your word is living and active. It's sharper than a a two-edged sword. Uh, You use it uh, to penetrate our hearts, uh, to form and shape us, to chisel away things in us uh, that don't belong. Uh, And you do it for your namesake. And so I pray that you would do that today. I pray that you would do that right now as we open up your word. I pray that uh, it would uh, be received with uh, humble hearts and listening ears. I pray that you would use it to challenge us or to encourage us, uh, to convict us. And I pray because of the time spent in your word this morning that we would never be the same. Lord, you do things like that all of the time, and so I pray that you might do it this morning. I will give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Our passage this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can uh, pull them out and turn with me there, John chapter 5. If you are using the YouVersion app, you can uh, look us up under events and you can follow along uh, there as well. Or if you don't like either of those options, uh, the passage will be on the screen. Uh, So John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had Uh, had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So they asked him, who was the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working." The Bible is a story about Jesus, and so it should come as no surprise to us that the gospel of John is a gospel, good news, about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is introduced from the get-go in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We read a beautiful poem in John chapter 1 that points to the excellency of Jesus. We're introduced to a character, John the Baptist, who really spent his days 
pointing other people to Jesus. He was a bit of a radical, if you read his story. Uh, He spent his short days here on earth gathering others and pointing them uh, to the Savior of the world. John chapter 1 uses seven words or seven titles to describe who Jesus is. John chapter 1 says things like Jesus was rabbi, he was Messiah, he was the Son of God, he was the King of Kings. And when you read these titles for Jesus, you can't help but think to yourself, is is that who he really is? People were asking questions about him, and so when Jesus ministers to the people, he has conversations with people, and he performs miracles in such a way that people uh, were not left sitting on the fence uh, in terms of what they believed about Jesus. They were forced to pick a side. Jesus was a fork in the road for people. He began to have conversations Uh, with people. He went to a wedding and performed a miracle. He headed to the temple and turned over the tables. He met with a religious leader late at night. He met a Samaritan woman uh, by the well. And all these conversations and all these works of Jesus were so that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, uh, they would have life in his name. And so as we walk through the Gospel of John, we consider uh, what took place in the life of Christ. We consider uh, the works that he had done and the miracles he performed and the conversations that he had. And we too are encouraged, if not forced, uh, to answer questions about who is Jesus. Uh, John chapter 5 is no different. Jesus uh, meets a man an invalid at a pool uh, who had been that way for 38 years. And he, in a moment, radically changes his life. If you were to look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17, uh, they would function like a two-act play. Uh, Act 1 is the cure, and Act 2 is the confrontation. Act 1 is the cure. Jesus goes and cures and heals a man, it takes place uh, at the place of mercy. Bethesda um, means mercy or grace. And so Jesus uh, heads to the pool. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So Jesus comes to the sheep gate in Jerusalem. There's a picture of it on the slide this morning. You can see the sheep gate in the background. In the foreground of uh, the picture are are two structures where uh, the pool is located. This second picture uh, shows a picture of where people believed uh, this miracle took place. I had an opportunity uh, to spend time here a number of years ago, and it is amazing to stand there and think that in this spot, uh, Jesus spoke a word and uh, changed one man's life forever. 
The text is kind of interesting when you read it. You don't necessarily know exactly uh, what is taking place at the pool, but you can sort of connect the dots as you read the passage. Maybe in your translation of the Scriptures, you notice that it goes from chapter 5, verse 3 uh, to chapter 5, verse 5. If you have the NIV or the ESV, you'll notice that. I notice that. I'm not a mathematician, but I know enough to go, hey, after verse 3 should be verse 4, but it's not there. And so I think to myself, what happened to verse 4 and why is it not there? Well, if you use the King James Version of the Bible, you'll stumble across verse 4. This is what verse 4 reads, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whatsoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. Uh, When you study how Scripture came together, um, copyists had uh, thousands of Greek manuscripts that they would piece together. And because at the time there was not a printing press, people would write the Scriptures out. And occasionally a copyist who was writing the scriptures out, uh, may put something in the margin that would seek to clarify a verse or a passage that might cause the reader to go, what's going on there? Uh, The earliest manuscripts that we have do not include verse 4, but it looks like, it seems like a copyist at some point came in and sought to bring some clarity in terms of what uh, was happening here. Well, what was happening? Well, what was happening was uh, many people believed that at this pool, an angel would come and stir the waters or trouble the waters, and the first one into the pool uh, would be healed. Um, The Greeks believed that there were pools that had healing powers. Uh, Some people, when they read this passage, believe that there were hot springs in this place, and there were healing powers in the water, and people uh, would go in and be healed. Still other people would suggest, no, there there was an angel who would come and stir the waters. And so, man, if you're not first, you're last. And so I need to get in there first. There's a man uh, who had been an invalid for 38 years. And he was at the pool. And there were a multitude of people at the pool. um, The place of mercy. And each and every person there, even though we do not know their stories, you can imagine um, they wanted to be well. And this man was no different. So place of mercy, act one, scene one. Act one, scene two, we're introduced to this one man. It says in verse five, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. One man. This one man Jesus focuses in on. There's a number of people there who are sick. The text tells us there's a multitude of invalids. Everyone has a different story. But but Jesus fixes his eyes on this this one man. I can't imagine uh, his life or his experience. All of us here this morning have experienced sickness or illness. Uh, You've had the flu you fought the common cold. Uh, you've had a head cold before. Uh, maybe you've had a surgery or two and you've missed some work. 
You had to go through a PT to get well. It took time and energy and effort for you to regain your strength. Um, This man, after 38 years, had not regained his strength. This was not a, you know, wait seven to ten business days kind of deal and you'll be well. You just got to wait it out. This is his life. And so every day uh, he wrestles and he struggles. And he's at the pool uh, because he wants to be made well. I'm amazed when I read Scripture that in the midst of a crowd, uh, Jesus oftentimes notices a person, one person. We see this all throughout the gospel. There, there, are, there are lots of religious leaders, but one guy comes to Jesus at night. There are numerous Samaritans, but Jesus finds, finds one woman at the well. Uh, there are a lot of government officials, but Jesus has a conversation with one man who has a sick boy. There are many uh, sick people, but Jesus notices this one man. It should be pointed out that there are times in Scripture where Jesus is confronted with a group, a crowd of sick people, and he heals every single one of them. No exceptions. We read stories like that. Imagine Jesus going into the hospital and everyone on every floor is made well. Like that happens. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. All of them. No exceptions. Luke chapter 4, verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any Uh, All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. There are times when Jesus moves into a place and every single person who is sick is made well. And... There are times when Jesus moves into a place like this with a multitude of people who are sick, and he heals, and he heals one. And so as we form our theology of healing, we, we look at both of those situations and circumstances. And we have to wrestle through that. There are times when Jesus goes in and heals everyone. And there are times when Jesus uh, goes in and he notices one. And he notices one here. He notices this man. One man and one question. This is scene three, verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? It's kind of a strange question, isn't it? Every time I read it, it strikes me as as a bit odd. 
The man was an invalid for nearly 40 years. I mean, almost four decades, 38 years. And Jesus approaches him and asks him, do you want to be well? And I would, uh, I would think the answer to that question would be, uh, yeah, of course I want to be well. Uh, my father-in-law jokingly will say at times, you know, James, there are just certain things in life that you don't have to pray about. He says it tongue-in-cheek. Like this right here, if, if, if I was sick for 38 years and dependent upon others and battled illness every single minute of every single day for four decades, and someone said, hey, do you want to be well? Yes. Yes, I do. But it's an interesting question. Uh, many commentators suggest that Jesus is, is what he is getting at with this man is telling him, life as you know it is about to change. And so your old way of living and operating must change with it. Life is going to look different for you. I can't imagine what this is like. The, the closest that I could come in thinking of an illustration was when I tore my ACL in an adult soccer league chasing after a very fast girl. And she was fast. And I tore my ACL. I, you know, I went through the whole thing and had tests done. Hey, we're going to need to repair your ACL. And I, I had the surgery. And I would go to PT three times a week and see my physical therapist. And he, you know, he put me on a bike and he started stretching me and he had me move my, move my, my knee, my left knee. That was my bad knee. At least that's what I would call it. And eventually he got to the point where he would ask me to do things. He'd be like, James, I need you to hold this weight. I need you to sit down on the bench behind you, but just, just stand on one leg. And I said, do you want me to stand on my good one or my bad one? And he said, James, they're both good. They're both good. We fixed your ACL. It's not bad anymore. Well, when it was bad, I had reason not to do certain things that were healthy. I didn't have to work out. Torn ACL. Can't work out. I got a bum knee. All of a sudden, I didn't have a bum knee anymore. My physical therapist said, you can't, you can't use that excuse anymore. Like, you're, you're well. Life's going to be a little different. Jesus asked the man, do, do you want to be well? I mean, if you're well, if, if you're no longer here, if you're out in the world, uh, you can't come back here. You, you can't go, well, I, I, I would, but I can't. No, you can. Life's going to be different. Do you want to be well? One commentator notes, it's possible that this man had become satisfied in his state of inertia, having learned to depend on, what others, on others to tend to his needs. In that case, Jesus' question likely was intended to warn him that being healed would bring radical life changes. There would be no more handouts, no more assistance. Instead, he would have to be productive. He would have to function in society where he had been unable to be productive for 38 years.
We're not specifically told why Jesus asked uh, this question, but, but he did. I think it's a question that is worth us asking uh, today as well. Uh, regardless of what it is uh, you face, do you, do you, do you want uh, to be well? Are you okay if life looks radically different than it does today? There is a story that takes place at a place of mercy uh, with one man and one question. But he brings up one problem. He brings up one problem. Jesus asks him, do you want to be well? And the sick man, verse 7, answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Well, what's the problem? The problem in this man's eye is that healing is in the pool. I'm here and I need to get there. And I can't get from here to there without someone taking me to the pool. Theologian D.A. Carson said, verse 7 reads less as an apt and subtle response to Jesus' question than as the crotchety grumblings of an old and not very perceptive man who thinks he is answering a stupid question. Man is not desperate for Jesus to heal him. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. Jesus asks him if he wants to be well, and he essentially looks at Jesus and says, I can't be well because I can't get in the water. What kind of question is that? He, he is not acknowledging a Jesus as the Savior of the world. He has no idea that living water is right in front of him. And he doesn't need to make it into the perceived healing water to be made well. It would be the equivalent of Warren Buffett approaching a you with your little debt and you saying to him, I want to get out of debt, but I just can't find a side hustle. Man, I've looked and looked and nobody will call me back. When all you have to do is say, Warren, if I can call you that. I have a need, and you have what I need. Will you help me? But that man doesn't do that. He, he doesn't know the power of Jesus' words. He doesn't know who Jesus even is. And so he answers Jesus in a bit of a snide way. Do I want to be well? <laughs> Obviously, I can't get in the water to be made well. And so act one continues. One man, one question, one problem, followed by one spoken word. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Jesus is demonstrating his power over sickness, over disease, over disability. He is showing the power of his spoken word. This man's healing was immediate. It did not happen over the course of weeks 
or months or years. There, there was no PT involved. It was not gradual. Jesus spoke a word, and it was done. Oh, the power of the word of God, the power of the word of God, to think that God spoke the world into existence. And just imagine that. Think about that for a second. Just the power of his spoken word. This man comes to Jesus. Jesus asks him if he wants to be well. The man says, I can't get into the water. And Jesus looks at him and says, get up. And the man gets up. And he takes his mat. And you would think, you would think that this would be reason to celebrate both for the man and for those who saw the mighty work of Jesus. But as we go into Act 2 of this story, we will notice that both the man and the people, the Jews, respond in a way that you wouldn't expect. Act 2 is titled, The Confrontation. The Confrontation. It says at the end of verse 9, Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Act 2, scene 1 is titled, Breaking the Law. Uh, Jesus is accused of breaking the law. Uh, Jesus did something or caused a man to do something on the Sabbath that he was not supposed to do. He was supposed to rest from all his work. How dare this man pick up his mat after being an invalid for 38 years, and get up and walk. These leaders are more concerned with their rules than they are God's mercy. They're more concerned about their way of doing things than they are the people of God. A man had just been healed. Uh, you would think that people would celebrate. Uh, recently, I came across a video uh, from the well-known Mr. Beast. Who knows Mr. Beast in here? Everyone under the age of 25. Perfect. Uh, Mr. Beast is a YouTuber. He's a YouTuber. He's the number one YouTuber on the planet, right? He's a big deal. He does these like extravagant videos. He, he gives stuff away. Uh, I mean, it, it's, if you ever watch these, if you're ever thinking to yourself, how, how can I spend time doing something that is quasi-wasteful, and, and I'll never have the time back ever again. Just hunker down, Google Mr. Beast, and just hours and hours of footage. Well, recently, uh, Mr. Beast uh, paid for eye surgery for a 1,000 people, which is a lot of people. Um, they, they couldn't see, and so he did the audacious thing of paying for cataract surgery for a 1,000 people who couldn't see. And the response to what he did was fascinating. There's a group of people that are like, man, that's awesome. And then, and then there was a segment of the population that folded their arms and said, the nerve, the nerve of using people who can't see to get subscribers. How dare you? Listen, I don't know that cat's motives. I'm sure he does need subscribers. There were a thousand people 
who couldn't see clearly. And he paid for their surgery. And now they can see clearly. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I'm looking at that and I'm going, man, that's kind of cool. And that's kind of cool. Jesus heals a man who had been an invalid for four decades. And there's a, a segment of the population who fold their arms and go, can you believe that man picked up his mat on the Sabbath? It's a nerve. So this is a problem. This is a problem because people are looking to Jesus and they see that he is breaking uh, the rules. And so you would think that this man who had just been healed would sort of come to his rescue to go, hey, if I, if I could speak, I was there, I saw what happened. You would think that he would kind of vouch for Jesus, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he essentially throws his hands up in the air and says, it wasn't me. I didn't break the rules. Verse 11, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take your bed and walk. Right? So the, so the man is distancing himself from Jesus. He's like, I didn't break any of your rules. I was just doing what I was told. <laughs> 38 years. 38 years an invalid. And Jesus heals him. And when he's pressed, he throws his hands up and he goes, hey, it, it wasn't me. And he essentially passes the buck and blames another. When my boys were really little, five and three. We were in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We were on vacation. And we went to a store called the M-Den in Ann Arbor. And our kids were, you know, looking at the sweatshirts and the hats and all the little trinkets. And they were running around. If you've had kids, there's sort of this internal clock that parents have where when you walk into a store, you can just feel in your soul that something uh, poorly is going to happen unless you get out quickly. I was starting to feel that, and so I took a couple things. I went up to the cash register to check out. I can hear my kids running around in the store, and the nice lady at the cash register said, is there anything else that you would like? The moment she said that, I heard a glass break, and without turning around, I said, I also would like that. <laughs> sure enough, I turn over, and I see... I see Noah, he's like three years old at the time. He's standing over uh, what was a Michigan uh, champagne glass that is in a million pieces on the ground. And she said, it's okay. It's okay. You, you can go. It's okay. And so I did. We left. We walked out the store. I took a couple steps on the sidewalk, and I stopped, and I got down on Noah's level. Melissa's there. Cademan, our oldest, is there, and Noah. I was like, Noah, I'm like, you, you just broke that glass. And he looked at me and he said, no, I didn't. <laughs> and so I said to him, really, um, if you didn't break it, who did? And he looked at Melissa and said, she did it. <laughs> and he's like three years old, right? That picture has been transpiring since the garden. Lord, it wasn't me. She did it. That woman that you gave to me. It was her fault. 
this man is pressed. People are going, hey, it's the Sabbath. You picked up your mat. You know you're not supposed to pick up your mat. What happened? He's like, I, someone said to me, get up and walk, and so I did, which is amazing. It's just amazing to think about. Scene three, then, who is the man? He says, it wasn't me. Then who was it? Who did this? Verse 12, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. So this man knew that he had been healed, but he didn't know who healed him. Um, This here is the dictionary definition of a non-faith healing. I mean, you've heard of faith healing. You've heard of faith. You believe the power of Jesus to heal. God, God does heal. Matthew 9, 22, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Luke 17, 19, and he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Luke 18, 42, Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. Matthew 8, 13, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. There are times in Scripture where people have faith in the power of Jesus, in Jesus, uh, to heal. And and God, Jesus, miraculously heals him. There's times where we read instances in the Bible where that takes place. This is not one of them. It's, It's not. It's not one of them. This man had no perceived faith in Jesus. He wasn't trusting in Jesus, in his power over sickness or disease or death. Jesus asked him if he wanted to be well, and he said, I got to get into the water. So he has zero faith. Zero. He doesn't even know who Jesus is when he was asked. He's like, I don't, some guy did it. I don't know who it was. The point here isn't to point out that Jesus only cares about one sick man and not the others. It's not to say that faith in the power of Jesus isn't important, that we shouldn't long for that. But John is clearly highlighting the mercy of Jesus to a man who had done nothing to deserve it. He didn't earn his healing. He didn't. He didn't believe his way into healing. He didn't speak it into existence. Jesus saw him, he approached him, and Jesus spoke a word over him, and he was made well. That's how it happened. This shows us the mercy of God. God's mercy in pursuing people who are far from him and drawing them near. Jesus is not done with this man, though. The story is not over. If that's scene three, scene four is this confrontation between holiness and healing, and we're taught that in God's eyes, holiness is greater than healing. Spiritual holiness is greater than physical healing. Verse 14, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus is not done with this man. Not because the man 
uh, sought out Jesus, but because Jesus sought him out. He wasn't hunting for Jesus. He wasn't looking around going, where, where, is, where have you seen? Jesus found him. And he, and he goes to the man, and he, and he doesn't, he doesn't high-five him. He doesn't, like, take selfies with him, like, let me see you move, you know. There was none of that. <laughs> he just, Jesus instead says to the man something that, that you wouldn't expect. But maybe that's expected. Jesus looks at him and says, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. There is something in life that is greater than physical healing. A physical healing is significant. It is. It, it is not insignificant to, to, to be sick and to be made well is a joyous thing. Like, oh. To, to be able to experience that, even in part, is awesome. But there is something greater. Don't get me wrong. I mean, to see a, a sick child made well or a dying child made well, to, to see someone who is blind be given their sight, to, to experience the, the lame, to, to leap, cancer that is cured, when sickness departs and leaves you, that is not insignificant. Oh, that is, that is huge. Physical healing is not insignificant. It is, is massively significant. But there is something in life that is more significant. There is something in life that is, that is more important than being physically made well. To know God, to know Him, to know the God of the universe, to be given faith in Him is, is better, is better than physical healing. See, you are well. Now sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus isn't teaching, by the way, that all sickness is connected to sin. We read examples in the New Testament, where that is not the case. Familiar with Scripture, we know that we live in a fallen and a broken world, a world where people get sick and ill and die. That is the fallout of the fall. But Jesus is pointing out to this man and reminding us that spiritual healing, holiness, is more important than physical healing. Do you believe that? Um, do, you, do you believe that to have Jesus, to have Jesus, uh, to know Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, uh, to be cared for by Jesus, uh, is, is better uh, than physical uh, healing or deliverance? It is. Scene five. Jesus demonstrates that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. 
And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, My father is working until now, and I am working. And the Sabbath was introduced in God's story in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, the Sabbath was uh, delivered to Moses by God. It was intended to be a blessing for people. Scripture teaches us that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. A Sabbath was an opportunity, it is an opportunity for people to rest from their normal work, um, to be still and to be reminded uh, that God is running the universe and he's doing an okay job without us. And, uh, and that's a good thing. And that's a really good thing. But, but these, uh, these folks uh, came to the conclusion that they were going to set some rules and regulations on top of the rules and regulations that were already in place and call people to follow them. And if they didn't follow them, uh, there was going to be a problem. And so this man who lifted up his mat after he was healed um, broke their rules and regulations because he was working. You can't, you can't just go pick up a mat. Can you? Jesus is telling the people, you've, <laughs> you've missed the point. Uh, my father, which was a bold statement, um, my father is working until now. My father's working. Right? He doesn't like, take a long weekend. He's working now. And then Jesus makes the bold claim, and I am working, or I am working also. Uh, Jesus is, is claiming uh, to be God here. And this is what is getting Jesus in trouble. Not the fact that Jesus just performed miracles or he was kind to others or had wonderful teaching. The fact that he, he came and he was calling people to himself. He was claiming to be God. And it ticked people off. And we're going to see as we continue in on this story that this is what is going to get Jesus killed. People are going to get to the point where they're not going to take it anymore, where they're going to say enough is enough. But we're not there yet. Right now, we just have a miraculous act by Jesus and a conversation with an invalid who had been made well. We see in this story that Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is God. So the question for you and for me uh, this morning is, will we submit to Jesus? Will we submit to his word and to his way? Or will we make a decision to do life on our own terms? Uh, John wrote this book with an intended purpose in mind. He wrote in John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, uh, you may have life in his name. Uh, it is my hope and prayer that we as a people would see Jesus for who he is, uh, the Christ, the Son of God, and that we would believe, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. So this is what I want us to do this morning. I'm going to ask the team, if they would, to come forward as we prepare our hearts uh, for worship. And I want us just to spend uh, a minute or two uh, in silence and quietness, uh, Henry's going to pray, and I just I want you to reflect on this story 
And I want you to reflect primarily on Jesus and ask yourself the question, what does God want me to do uh, with what I heard today? What does God want me to do uh, with what I heard today? Maybe walking through this story, you are reminded of your own sickness that you're battling or that you're facing. And, and maybe this time just becomes a time for you to bring that to the Lord again. Uh, he's not surprised by it. He's not caught off guard by it. He knows. Just, just bring that to the Lord and pray that God uh, would bring healing uh, to uh, your life. Maybe this time for you is an opportunity to simply ask the question, do I want to be well? That, that thing, the, the, the sin, the temptation, the addiction, the thing that I'm clinging to, that I'm holding on to, that brings so much definition to my life, um, do I want to be well? Am I okay if my life looks completely different uh, when I roll out of this place? Maybe for you, this time of reflection is just a, simply a time to ask, do, do I know Jesus as Savior? He is revealing himself to us in his word. Um, do we believe him and take him at his word? Do we believe that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the Son of God? It is my hope and prayer that we would. And so if you would, just bow with me and, and pray just for the next couple minutes and have this time uh, to do business with the Lord. God, we give you thanks for your living and active word. We thank you for how you use it to form and shape us and change us. Lord, as we reflect upon your word this morning, I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, stir our hearts in such a way that we would uh, see Jesus for who he is and that our lives would be changed forever. God, I pray for our church family, for those here this morning, for those watching at home. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet with them in a significant and a profound in a beautiful way this morning. Uh, would you encourage their hearts? Uh, would you uh, give them affections for you? Uh, would you pour uh, hope, joy, and peace into their hearts? Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much that you loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.